You're listening to the Jets Nation Podcast. Hey, I'm Cody Bueller, joined by my brother Kyle. Today on the show, we're going to look at the last couple of games for the Jets, including the Heritage Classic. Plus, we're going to take a look at some of the injuries and some of the lineup additions for Winnipeg. Stay tuned for all of that and more. So for segment number one, Kyle, looking at the last couple of games, it's been a really quiet week since the last podcast last week. Uh, you actually missed that one because you were under the weather. Are you feeling any better? Uh, I'm feeling a little bit better. I don't know what it, what was going on, but the flu got a hold of me and uh, still has a little bit of hold on me today. Well, hopefully uh, you will get better, uh, and hopefully the Winnipeg Jets get better as well. They're also battling the injury bug. We're going to talk more on that in segment number two. Uh, But looking at the last couple of games, it's kind of been a light schedule since the last podcast. Only two games played, the Heritage Classic in Regina, and then, of course, last night's game against the Anaheim Ducks. And so let's start with the Heritage Classic. Uh, The big spectacle that it was in Regina, what did you think of the event? The event as a whole and the game. Yeah, so the event as a whole, I mean, it's always, um, there, there's two ways to look at it. And, and I mean, the event's always, it, it's great for hockey, hockey because the whole hockey world kind of stops and, and takes notice of what's going on. And we saw that with the spectacle and the, the flyover of the Jets and the, all these sorts of things going on pregame. And just such a, a great event overall for hockey. Uh, in terms of actual on-ice play, I think most fans would prefer to see an indoor game just because the pace is better, uh, the plays are better, and, and it's tough to kind of get a get a feel for it when they're when they're playing outdoors like that. So it's kind of a a, a mix of, of good and bad. You have the great spectacle of it all, um, but then you definitely give up a little bit of on ice result uh, just because you are playing outdoors. Now it started at nine o'clock, which is basically my bedtime being on the morning show. So I didn't get a chance to watch all of it, and I had some other stuff going on so I really only got to watch the second period did you find it kind of tough to follow the puck I don't know if it was the camera angle and the lights but did you find it a little bit more challenging well it was was specifically difficult during the first and second period and the reason why is that it was still snowing at that time I I often caught myself watching a snowflake falling uh, instead of the puck just because it was a little black dot on the ice or so I thought um, just very confusing from a fan perspective Uh, it got better in the third period as the snow kind of um, dissipated a little bit, but Jeff definitely a little bit um, tough to watch in the first first two periods. The thing for me is, and I kind of mentioned this in the last podcast where you weren't able to make it, uh, uh, the big thing for me is it's cool for the local fans, it's cool for the Calgary fans, the Winnipeg fans, getting to watch a game in an outdoor venue like Regina, that host city. I thought it was kind of cool how they had the, the highway number one pointing each direction, and I thought there were some really neat things as far as that goes, seeing the Jets in the old uniforms, the goalie with the toque on is still kind of cool when it's your players, but when it's another team, I don't really care. I think Heritage Classics have value for the team that's playing in it. It's different for the players. It's fun for them. It's fun for the fans for just a one-game, one-off. But I feel like the rest of the league is stopping caring. Just because there's been so many of them, it's not as out of place. When there's another team, I don't watch anymore because it's not unique anymore. But when it's my team, I still think it's kind of cool. Are you kind of on the same boat with that? Yeah, I totally agree, and it's almost lost its appeal um, just having an outdoor game in general. And, I mean, you can argue that this is technically only the fourth ever Heritage Classic. The other um, outdoor games, technically other series, of stadium series and whatnot and things like that. So technically only the fourth ever Heritage Classic. But once again, an outdoor game is an outdoor game. Uh, and, and if it's not your team in it, because they happen so frequently, 
if you're a fan of another team, you're probably not tuning in to watch the Jets and Flames. Um, so I would say probably a good thing for the NHL would be to maybe reduce just the, the sheer number of outdoor games they're doing just to kind of get it back on the map as, as being a big event. Um, maybe only one per year, maybe only once every other year and make it into a bigger event, that sort of thing. Um, because like you said, if you're not a fan of the Flames or the Jets, you likely weren't tuning in. Well, and the other thing, though, is do you, do you think you could go the other way? Because it's not really a big league-wide spectacle, do you think you could do one outdoor game for every team every season? It's possible. I mean, that's just, it turns into a lot of work, right? Like, there's, there's a lot of work that goes into these sorts of events. But you can sell double the amount of tickets. Well, yeah, but it's, it's a lot of behind-the-scenes work. Um, are they actually making that much money? Because how much work goes into not only just bringing everything to the stadium, but setting up everything, the increase um, cost of everything from probably renting the stadium to setting up shops in the stadium um, to setting up the boards to setting up all the camera infrastructure to setting up all the booths. It's a lot of work that goes into it. Well, they can't be losing. They They can't be losing that much money for the amount of games they're doing outdoors. If it wasn't profitable, no, the no, NHL but, wouldn't be doing that many. I don't think many. they would get the attendance. I don't think they would fill every single seat if you had one every single season. That's right? true. And, and yeah, I think no, that's sense. kind of the, the issue. It's losing its appeal in a sense. I think if, if Winnipeg, if this one would have been hosted in Winnipeg, would it have been sold out again? Probably. If Winnipeg hosted another one one year from now, would it be sold out? Probably not. I, th- I think it's kind of losing its appeal in that regard that you're going to start seeing these maybe not be sold out. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And I was just wondering, though, that if you could do it every year, would you? And, and I think you're right. I think you need to have it, I think, maybe even every five years. And again, because it's so close between the when Winnipeg held it, it makes sense to go out to Regina just in a different market. But I think that if you held it every five years, maybe made it a little bit more special, even every 10 as far as that goes. But whatever, we're kind of getting off of track. Let's. I, I like how we're just talking about the other stuff because the actual on-ice product isn't the most fun to talk about lately for the Winnipeg Jets. But let's talk about this, uh, the game bet- against Calgary. It was one nothing after two periods. Jets tied it up in the third, won it in overtime. Your thoughts on just the game, actually what was happening on the ice? Yeah, I mean, the Jets had chances. It, it, it's tough to score in a game like that. And, and, I mean, one of the issues is the Jets had a power play, um, but there was so much snow on the ice, it was a little bit hard to move, move the puck around. So it's hard to make the nice plays um, making those nice one-two passes, one-timers, things like that with so much extra added snow, not just from your skates, but from it actually falling from the sky as well. So that was just an added little issue, and I think it kind of happened for both teams. It was just tough to find a goal, and it often is in those types of um, outdoor games um, with, with the elements, the wind, the snow, that sort of thing. Uh, it, it's just often tough to find goals. But that being said, the Winnipeg Jets found a way late in the third period to get one um, on the power play. Uh, and, and then winning it in overtime on a great little two-on-one from Connor to Little. The on-ice play wasn't actually that bad from the team. Um, pretty much going toe-to-toe with the Flames um, as far as chances and, and things like that. So I don't think the game, uh, the gameplay itself actually wasn't that bad for Winnipeg. What do you think about that high-stick goal? Was that a goal or no? I, it blew me away that it, it counted. Honestly, I was shocked. 
like watching that replay over, and I know you know the play I'm talking about, watching the play over and over again, from every different angle, it looks like the stick's above his shoulders. Like basically at his head height. Like he's diving and he swings his stick around, knocks the puck down, and then they score. And then they review it, and I was like, oh, this is going to be an easy one. And they said it's a good goal. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, that one, it's so tough. And the reason why it's tough is that there's so many different heights of players on the ice. And when you're watching those replays, every player is um, at a different level, as in some are bending over, some are standing up straight, some are slouched. um, And the guy who's actually playing the puck is kind of leaning forward, off balance. So his stick is above his shoulders at head height, yet he's kind of, hunched over a little bit. So the, the problem is there's no good way to say if he was standing up straight, that's 100% above his shoulders. There, there's no good way to say that. You can't just put a cardboard cutout on the video replay and say, oh, there he, he's six foot three, so it's above his shoulder. There's no good way to do that when you're an official on the ice making the call. There's no good way to do that on a replay unless you're going to get some sort of scale in there. How tall is he? Where's his stick in relation? Triangulate the data. Oh, the the puck was five foot six inches. Therefore it was below his shoulder or above his shoulder. So you're telling me no good way to do it. You're telling me with all the technology that we have nowadays, you can't look at a video, analyze, you know, the size of the puck in real life, you know, the size of the ice surface. You can't tell me like there should be the technology to mathematically say with certainty at what height was that stick contacted by the puck? Don't you think they should be oh, able is to... It, is it possible? 100%. So, 100% is so possible. So why wouldn't they put did, in... Did they, did they do it? No, they didn't. They should put in a measurement of, say, let's say five feet. You're not allowed to play the puck above five feet, which is what? Most guys' shoulder height-ish. And so then but, you can triangulate... That's, that's not the rule. No, it's not the rule right now. But I'm saying, to make this a little bit more clear in the future, and especially for tipped goals and all this other, you can triangulate, you can use the math, and I'm sure you could find a program to calculate that for you, exactly where the puck is contacted, how high above the ice, and so then when you review it, it's easier to calculate. Again, in my opinion, I thought it was a high stick. I was surprised. Did you think it was a high stick or no? I thought it was as well, but once again, how do you overturn that with certainty? Well, I thought one of the camera angles, you could tell it was above his shoulders, and to me, that was certainty enough, and I think that's exactly what the Jets' coaching staff thought. Uh, thankfully, they were able to kill the next penalty. Again, just talking about this gets me fired up again. Is there anything else you wanted to mention about the Heritage Classic before we move on to last night's game? No, I mean, it was just, it, it was fun to watch being an outdoor game, um, and even though I'm saying it's starting to lose its appeal, it was still an, an enjoyable experience overall uh, for the Saturday night. So last night's game, I didn't get a chance to actually watch any of it. I went to bed basically as the game started. Uh, but the Jets losing 7-4 to the Ducks. Uh, and so the score probably a little bit more lopsided than the game actually was. Or how did you see it? Yeah, so this is an interesting one. Uh, the Jets actually opened the scoring in the first minute of the game. Nikolai Ehlers uh, getting the first goal. Ehlers had a great game, by the way. Um but then it was kind of back and forth in there, Anaheim scoring, Winnipeg scoring, Anaheim scoring, uh, and then eventually Anaheim just running up the score. Um, once it got to about 3-3, three, three, um, Anaheim scoring and then scoring again. Uh, and then it was 5-3 for most of the game, and they added a couple goals uh, late in the third period to kind of seal it. So 
you look at the goal total, seven goals, that's awful. But, I mean, for most of the game, it was it was the five. Um, the sixth being added on a breakaway, um, mainly because the Jets were pressing with about three minutes left, four minutes left in the third period. Everybody was pressing up, uh, and a high player got behind on a breakaway. It is what it is. Uh, empty net with three seconds left as the seventh. So it, it's not as bad as it sounds. That being said, giving up five goals is as bad as it sounds. And the Jets looked as bad as it sounds on the ice as well. Uh, Hellebuck wasn't great, but it wasn't really his fault. If you watch some of the goals, um, it was just really poor um, stick work and really poor decision-making by the Jets' defense. Now, that's what we've been talking a lot about this year is defense. And I'm not a great analyst of defense. I find it's a lot harder to analyze. You really got to know what you're looking for as far as gaps are concerned, stick work, and all of that kind of thing. But when we take a look at the Winnipeg Jets defense, that's really where the problem has lied this year. Exactly like what we said coming into the year, the Jets can score goals, but can they keep it out of their net? And Connor Hellebuck has played great in a lot of games. Maybe last night wasn't his best getting the hook after five. But when you look at the lineup, now the Jets have lost some forwards. Their defense is obviously uh, dealing with some injuries as well. Things are pretty tough for the Jets. We're actually going to look at injuries and scratches and additions coming up in the next segment. Before we move on to the next segment, actually one more thing about that Anaheim Ducks game. Uh, I, I did say it was all about the defense, and it was. Um, but it wasn't actually a lot of times the, the defense. Um, it was the forwards playing defense that caused some of the issues. And, and if you if you watch the replays, uh, the gets left goal coming right off of the faceoff, it was, one, a lost faceoff. That's based on the center bit. And two, uh, not a great play by the winger to get in the shooting lane and the puck getting by him. So two mistakes by the forwards, uh, and, and the goal ends up in the back of your net. The Adam Henrique tip from the, the top of the slot, once again, uh, the Winnipeg winger doesn't really seal off the shooting lane and allows a, a pretty easy shot through the middle of the ice from the point. And once again, Henrique in the middle of the, middle of the ice doesn't get tied up by the Jets centerman. So it's not really even the Jets' defense. And I know we harp on the defense a lot, but this is just to say that oftentimes it's the forwards that are making the defense look bad as well for Winnipeg. Winnipeg Jets have been battling the injury bug and kind of a freak injury, actually, with Mason Appleton. He's going to be out for a while with a lower body injury. Broke his foot playing football. Yikes. <laughs> Do you blame him, Kyle? I mean, that's one of the dangers of the Heritage Classic is uh, getting out before the game and just having a few uh, throws on the football field. Um, got a little bit overzealous, apparently, and uh, yeah, took a turn for the worse. And, and just like that, you lose a guy for a month. Yeah, I, I was kind of surprised when I heard it. It's one of those freak injuries in warm-up that's not even on the ice. I don't blame him at all. If I'm at a football stadium, you're going to be throwing the you're going to be throwing the ball around. Obviously, you need to be careful, but to me it seems like just kind of a freak injury that you can't plan for. You can't just stop doing things because you're a hockey player. That's not an extreme risk in my opinion, uh, just playing a little bit of pickup football with your buddies before a game. But when you take a look at the injuries for the Jets, uh, Sammy Niku's been hurt. I know the Moose have been dealing with injuries. Nathan Beaulieu is still out. Dustin Bufflin, we don't know where he is. Uh, he's still at home. And then Patrick Laine is now out for that bump in practice. Mark Letestu is still out. So the Jets have really been having to dig deep right now and go to the bottom of their roster, trying to just find guys who can play, especially now also with the Adam Lowry suspension. We didn't even mention that from the Heritage Classic game on Saturday night. Where do you want to go first, Kyle? Injuries or suspension? 
let's talk about the suspension. Okay, so suspension. What did you think of that hit? Uh, I saw it at the end of the period, and I kind of sat up on the edge of my seat, seeing a big hit from Lowry as he came flying in, and then I actually watched the replay, and I'm like, oh, that did not look good. I think it's probably fair. Yeah, I would agree. The problem is you could – I feel like everybody could see that play coming uh, well before it happened. And you could just tell the player was along the boards. There's only three or four seconds left in the period. Adam Lowry comes from definitely far enough away. He should have seen it all. Um, and you, you can just tell he was coming through with speed. It's the end of the period. I was just thinking to myself, this this probably can't end well. Sure enough, it doesn't. Um, luckily, no major injuries on the play, uh, but Lowry does end up with the two games, and I agree, it is probably a fair call. Yeah, and obviously a little bit frustrated. They hadn't scored a goal yet. They were down by one, maybe couldn't get things going, wanted to fire everybody up, so he comes in. But again, he's facing the boards. He's not in a super dangerous area in the sense that he's really far away, but it's just that the fact that he's turned away and it's basically face first into the boards. It's not head first. It could have been a lot more dangerous. And we've seen that before. Like, a lot of times guys turn away from hits and they try and protect themselves, kind of shield themselves up against the boards like that. But obviously, Kylington didn't really know it was coming, and so then that's where the dangerous part comes in. And so I'm okay with it. Uh, I definitely wouldn't have wanted it any longer than that. But again, you saw that he was turned away from you. There was definitely a chance to let up. And so now with all these other players out of the lineup, we're seeing different guys uh, stepping in for the Jets. Yeah, like you mentioned, different guys coming in, stepping up. Uh, Lucas Spiza actually claimed off of waivers a few days ago. Uh, he got his first taste of action against the Anaheim Ducks, and Logan Shaw being called up from the Winnipeg or from the Manitoba Moose, rather, uh, also making his debut. Uh, interestingly enough, both those players, both former Ducks, actually making their season debut against their former team. So Lucas Spiza brought in as an extra defenseman. So the Jets actually went with one extra defenseman, and we're one forward short. And I'm sure that can't help anything when you're looking for depth scoring late in the game. No, exactly. And, and rotating another forward through that fourth line is always tough. And you could tell that every time that um, fourth line got out there, the other winger, so it was Gustafson and uh, Shaw on the fourth line, the other winger, be it Perot or Roslevic or Cop, um, whoever got that, that spot, they would take a really, really short shift because they didn't want to um, leave themselves too tired for their own shift. So it's always tough when you have guys like that that are trying to conserve energy when they go out with those other two guys um, and kind of double shift themselves. That being said, it worked out okay. Uh, you just hope it's not a long-term, um, as in more than one game type of situation. Well, it's definitely not a long-term solution, but who do you want for the Winnipeg Jets to call up? If Patrick Laine is going to miss some time, if we're still going to be without Latestu, and I'm not sure Latestu even is the solution there, or Mason Appleton we know is going to be out for a while, who else would you want to call up there on that fourth line? Maybe guys like CJ Cease, or who would you want called up? Yeah, and this is where it would almost have been... Um, not a bad idea to keep Christian Veselainen around. I know he had a, an absolutely terrible camp, and I get that, but having him around might not be a bad thing um, at this point. But yeah, I, I would agree, maybe CJ Cease. Um, we know Adam Lowry's going to be back after one more game, so you really only have to figure out your lineup for Friday night uh, because Saturday night it's going to be fixed. So it's really only a one-game situation, and you really, really, really hope that Patrick Line is ready to go on a Friday night, and that would essentially solve your, solve all your issues. 
Yeah, and so there's other guys too, guys like Chibisov. There's uh, <laughs> right now Seth Griffith is leading the Manitoba Moose in points with five. And then other than that, there's really nobody who has jumped off the page with the Manitoba Moose this year. And so uh, we'll have to see what they do for Friday night, whether they do call somebody else up or whether they maybe just keep this same kind of rotation system. But again, it feels like the Winnipeg Jets have really been depleted and I just don't feel the same confidence about the team that even I did a month ago. And maybe it's just a couple of injuries, and maybe it's just, maybe it's, I'm just tired of watching these same defensemen roll out as well. I don't, I'm not sure what it is. Yeah, I would agree. I think one of the issues is uh, Vili Hanala with so much optimism at the start of the season, um, being a healthy scratch for much of the last two or three weeks, um, just kind of... Um, one of the other things is just not fun. You you want to see that 18-year-old in the game, regardless of his ELC and what's best for his long-term um, plan in the NHL. It's just fun to watch an 18-year-old rookie play, and, and he's not he's not being in the lineup, sitting at eight games played right now. Uh, the Jets will have to make a decision after he suits up for one more game, but just things like that. I, I totally agree with you. The Jets have just kind of lost their luster um, in the last couple of weeks. And so now for you, and I know we haven't chatted in a couple of weeks, what is your position still on Vili Hainala? Keep him for the year? Well, I, I don't think that's realistic anymore. Um, if they were going to keep him for the year, they wouldn't have just been sitting him to kind of preserve that ELC. Um, I think they would have just been playing him the whole time. Obviously, they don't think he's good enough to consistently play um, as a defenseman for the team. And, and if that's the case, there's no reason to keep him around. So I think he's probably going to be sent um, either down or back overseas. Um, either option would be fine for him. It's just tough when you see guys like Boteto and Dahlstrom and Spiza and all these guys on the back end who are just subpar defensemen. And Hainala has got this potential. And I'm not necessarily sold on rushing Hainala either. I just feel it's it's just so tough when the Jets, I feel, just have so few good options on the back end, and now lacking up front as well. It's just tough that, do you think we see a trade, or do the Jets just kind of wait it out and just kind of keep going with their patchwork lineup? Yeah, I mean, injuries are tough. The two things we got to keep in mind, specifically on the back end, is uh, Nathan Beaulieu is hopefully not too far from returning, and Sammy Niku is hopefully not too far from returning. If both those guys come back, they are definite upgrades over what the Jets currently are using at the, uh, on the defense so if you see Niku and Bolyu in the lineup that's easily a much better decor instantly for the team yeah and even if they are just on the bottom pairing that instantly bumps out Dahlstrom and Boteto Spiza no longer needs to be in the lineup as soon as Lowry's back and so really then that just makes everything a lot simpler for the Jets defense and I think it would give us a little bit more peace of mind is there anything else you want to mention lineup wise or anything else you want to mention today no, it's going to be interesting heading into the weekend, like like you said before, and like I mentioned, one more game without Lowry. Are they going to go again with the 11 forward seven defense or um, come up with something? Maybe line is back. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. Uh, and then hopefully everything returning back to normal on Saturday's game. If there's anything you want us to talk about, hit us up at Jets and Podcast. And, of course, find all of our shows at JetsNation.ca. Find all of the Jets Nation podcasts at JetsNation.ca.